turn to the New Testament book of Acts, Acts chapter 11. We've been working through the book of Acts and we'll be here a couple more weeks. We had finished up the Gospel of John and we had been spending some time looking at uh, doing life together, this, this idea of koinonia and fellowship. You've seen that in the right side of the order of service now for, for many weeks, looking at what the church is. Sometimes we think of the church as a building and a service. Uh, I remember... Uh, uh, comedian Mark Lowry one time was, was talking about coming to church and the idea wouldn't it be neat if we had uh, armrest and, and uh, cup holders, you know, and, and he was making fun of that's kind of the way we view church. We come, we sit down, we put our cup holder in there and we get all comfortable and, and that's church. We just come and we, we experience something and, and there's some truth to that. We do come to church and we, we worship together and we, we experience something as we sit and we watch, but that's not what church is. Church is born-again believers of the Lord Jesus Christ that are, that are coming together to do something with a common purpose and a common mission. Yes, that may be coming together in a Sunday school class or coming together as a ministry group or coming together to worship, but literally we, we come together to live out the Christian life. And the book of Acts is just a wonderful picture and a reminder of what the church should look like today. Uh, in the church of Acts, they were persecuted, there was killing, there was martyring, there was all kinds of crazy things going on from the world to the church. But notice what they did. They came together for a purpose and realized that how the world treats us is not important. It doesn't, that's not the issue. It's how we live our life. And so I think what has happened in our culture is we have kind of churned church into an event that we come to and that because of television and the, the, the heresy of the prosperity gospel that, that if you're a Christian and you pray right and believe right and have enough faith, everything's just right. Well, if you live in Panama City right now or Mexico Beach, you're going to have a hard time working through that. Uh, everything is all right because God is on his throne. But we're not living down here for everything to be right in our life. We're living here because we're a redeemed child and people of the Lord Jesus Christ and we live our life glorifying Him and living for Him until He calls us home. We're on mission here and there's something that we should be doing and that something is doing life together, uh, living life together as the body of Christ. So Acts chapter 11, this is one of, of, um, one of my favorite passages in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11 verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch and they were speaking to no one except the Jews. But there were some, the men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists. And we, we looked at last week that the Hellenists is a Greek-speaking Jew. And so the idea is not just speak to your people. The idea is speak to the people that can hear you. They spoke to the Jews. They spoke to the Hellenists. They, we speak to who we can speak to. Notice what they did in the end of verse 20. They, were, they spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. 
So Barnabas, he went to Tarsus to look for Saul, who is Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church, life together. They met with the church and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, thank you for the picture and the testimony of the, the grace and the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That a born-again people understand what it means to be born again. And they live their life accordingly. And society looks upon them and calls them followers of Jesus Christ. Let us be people that may not agree with us, may not believe like us, but let us be a people that the world looks at us and says that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Let us be a people that truly understand what it is to do life together. People that are faithful to the calling you've placed on us all. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're here and visiting with us, you notice on the on the slides to my left and right, that, that email address, uh, that website address, pastorjohnbeck.com is there, not just to say the pastor's got a website. That is a website that I keep my sermon notes. And so if you want to follow along, you can go there on your smartphone and I'll have my sermon notes posted uh, each and every week. You can follow along. They're not a manuscript. They're just my notes. I want to say a few things first before we, we dive into the text verse by verse. One, notice, did you notice that the last verse they were called Christians? We don't know a whole lot of information other than they called them Christians. Notice what it says that, uh, and when they, uh, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. I don't personally think they had a business meeting and said, well, we're going to call ourselves. I think that just naturally evolved with the way they were living their life. The world looked at them and said, who are those people? Why are they doing that? Why, why are they gathering doing these things? Well, because they follow that man. You remember that man named Jesus? They follow that man named Jesus. What a testimony. The world does not have to believe like I believe, but they should be able to understand what it is I believe. You know, the thing that should penetrate our life, nothing, uh, no more or nothing less or more, should be our love and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. The way I treat people, the way I live my life, the way I do my business, the way I conduct myself in the, in the city in which I live. People should say, that man is a follower of Jesus Christ. That man loves the man named Jesus. Secondly, as these people, the church, loved Jesus Christ, this is a sermon before the sermon, they lived for Jesus Christ. If you love Jesus Christ, you live for Jesus Christ. And you'll treat people the way that Jesus Christ would treat people. And you do the things that Christ would do. So as they lived for him, as they loved him, they lived for them. As they loved him and lived for him, they experienced his grace on their life. There's a couple of times in this passage, the passage they're doing what God would have them to do, and God shows up. Well, God's always there. They see God. 
They experience the grace of God on our life. As we love the Lord, as we live for the Lord, we experience manifestations of God's grace and mercy in a way that can only be explained because we're believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is doing something in our midst. Can we recognize His hand upon our life? And then last, as we look at these things, as we live this way, as our heart is devoted to the things of the Lord, what naturally evolves is the life of a Christian. So let's look at the text and let's see this played out in a more detailed manner. Verses 19 and 20, we see the church, one, just being a people that lives out a gospel-centered life. You could word that a million different ways. They're just a people in verses 19 and 20. They're just living out this gospel-centered life. They just live the life as a gospel-centered person, that the gospel means everything to them. So easy in our society that the world dictates how we live. All right, so when, you know, when everything is going well, I got all the money at the end of the month. Somebody asked me this week, so a couple of people actually, what would you do if you hit the Powerball? Well, one, I'd be trying to figure out how I could tell you all I bought a ticket and being a preacher and buying lottery tickets, I'd try to figure that out. What would you do if you had a billion dollars? I don't know. It makes you daydream, doesn't it? What would you do with this? What would you do with that? What would you do with this? Well, I don't know. Let me ask you this. What would you do if Jesus Christ was the center of your life? That's probably the best question to ask. What would you do if Jesus Christ was absolutely the center part of your life? Now, I know in our society there are things that are important to us. I've got some things. I had a good week this week. Bryce got engaged. Hey, Emily is a, a deputy sheriff in the Highlands County Sheriff's Office. Honey, Sunday morning I want you to do door visitations and get people in church. You got a, some type of... Is there, no, I know what you do. You, you pull people over when they're not coming to church and tell them to get to church. So, got a son that got engaged, a daughter that is employed as a sheriff officer and the deputy sheriff. Oh, I'm going to see my grandchild Tuesday. Don't look for me Tuesday through Thursday. I'm going to see George Ann. Amen. You can applaud, whatever. That's a great week, right? But those are just things in my week. And if my daughter's occupation consumes my life, and my son's future in marriage consumes my life, and my, my grandchild consumes my life, guess what I'm going to be focused on? Those things. And those are side things. Yes, there are things that I can enjoy, but those are side things. The thing that should motivate and center my life around should be the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ is the most important thing in my life, I'm going to be a, a great dad to a daughter that's employed. I'm going to be a, a great dad to a, a new wife that's going to be living in Florida, a grandchild in Florida. And I'm going to be a great granddad to a grandchild in Louisville, Kentucky. Because Jesus Christ is the center of my life. Notice the church. How do I know Jesus Christ was the center of their life? There were two things you can clearly see them doing. One is, notice the life they were living. They were trusting God. Now, I always, I say things, I know I offend people. I'm sorry if I do that. I don't mean it, but I guess I do mean it. Because if you knew what I wanted to say, everybody would be mad at me. 
these people aren't Baptists. Because if we were persecuted and scattered, we wouldn't be praising the Lord. You know why? Because I've been a Baptist for 25 years as a pastor. And very rarely do you see Baptist people praise Jesus when things are going bad. We only praise Jesus when things are going good. But when persecution comes, we as Baptists, oh, I thought, well, pastor, I've been praying. I had my quiet time today. I gave a little extra toward the shoebox ministry this week, and I did four good things today, but yet, pastor, things didn't go well for me. Why would God do that? Well, we all deserve hell. Great for you taking a breath today. The early church was being persecuted and they were scattered and they were killing folks and Stephen had been martyred. But guess what they did? No matter where they went, no matter what happened, as they were scattered, they were trusting God. They knew God would take care of them from a gospel standpoint, not take care of them based on what they wanted. If the early church believed the prosperity gospel to where good things happen to people that do good things, we would not be believers today because everybody would still be in Jerusalem. But God scattered the church so that the gospel could go out. And the early Christians understood that it's not about how the world treats them that motivates their life, but they're trusting that God is God, and so they live their life accordingly. Notice what it's like. You say, preacher, where do you get that from? As they were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, wherever they were, and at least our second point, they were trusting the Lord, and they were sharing the gospel. So big point one, they were living this gospel-centered life and that gospel-centered life is demonstrated as we just trust God. What a, you know, This week in the small group, we have over 100-something people in our small groups, we're going through the book Trusting God. What a great week for that. It talks about we can trust God because He has a plan. We can trust God. He is the plan. We can trust God with the future. He's already there. He's an all-powerful, all-wise, all-loving God. We can trust Him. And because we can trust Him, we can share with other people about Him. And in the midst of persecution, notice what they were speaking. They were speaking the Word. They were preaching, verse 20, the Lord Jesus Christ. They were telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Where are you from? Jerusalem. Why'd you leave? They, we were under such persecution, we had to leave. But as we were leaving, we were preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. We were preaching King Jesus, His Lordship, who He is, how it's affected my life. I would be afraid to probably ask individually, and all of us, when is the last time you shared the Lordship of Jesus Christ in a way with someone so that they could understand who Christ is and their need for Christ or to encourage unbeliever already in their faith in Christ? I share with people all the time. Well, I don't know, I don't know if they're lost or saved. I don't know what to say. Listen, have you ever been witnessed to as a I'm a believer. Every time I am witness to, it encourages me. I was witness to this week several times. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? You bet I do. And how encouraging is that? 
And so we can't use the example. Well, I don't talk to people about the Lord. It's not, I don't know who he is. Listen, just tell. I don't have a problem telling people about the Georgia Bulldogs. I was showing total strangers my daughter in uniform this week. That's, you know, yeah, my daughter's a cop. You see that? Oh, granddaughter. Whoop, wife. Whoop. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem at all. I was showing the pictures of y'all. Look at my church. Look at my church. Total strangers who didn't care. They know I have a grandchild. But we don't need to tell people about Jesus. How selfish is that? Because, because somebody told somebody about Jesus, you're even a believer. The way we share Jesus is we find our niche and we just love talking about him. It's not a plan. I think that's one of the most gross things we have done and justice things we've done, even as a Southern Baptist Convention. We turned sharing our faith into a program. We use puppets and cubes and skits and quilts and fingers and hands and toes, and it's the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen. I've seen people get out and go, well, we got a one, we got a two, we got a three, we got a four, we got a five, we got a six, we got a seven. But listen, that's not the gospel. If I don't have enough confidence to say, this is what it takes to be born again. Here's a holy God, and you have got, and the problem with that holy God is your sin. You don't need a puppet or cube or a video or a skit. All you need is to open up your mouth and to share the good news of Jesus Christ and what that means. If I've got to narrow that thing down to 15 seconds to get people to believe it, I'm telling you right now, that is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a holy God. And we are a sinful man. But that loving Lord sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for the sins that we could never pay for. And he broke his body and he shed his blood that whoever repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ will be saved. That's the gospel. It's not about getting everything you want or getting happy and doing all. It's realizing that we're on a highway to hell and we are depraved people without the hope of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. Very rarely can you say that in five seconds and somebody gets it. I've had people come up to me that the Spirit of God is all over and they're coming to me like in the New Testament, what must I do to be born again? That's what salvation is. You can't convince somebody to be saved. You can't plead with somebody to be saved. You can, should plead the gospel and plead for them to be saved, but how you do it is not going to save them. What is going to save them is you doing it and the Spirit opening up their eyes to it. This church believed in the power of the gospel. I don't believe in the power of my presentation. I don't believe in the power of a gimmick. I don't believe in the power of a new way to share the gospel. I believe in the power of the gospel. Is there a point in a time that you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's the question. The people got this. The Jews, hey, the Jews were finding Jews to preach to. The, uh, the Greeks were finding Greeks to preach to. And they were preaching. And they were sharing the life. And sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got a great example for you. We worked alongside the Red Cross this week. In our little area, in our little church parking lot where we worked, we had feeding units, laundry units, cleaning units, chainsaw units. You, had, you need a unit, we had it. We were sending out almost 11,000 meals a day. And we were working alongside Red Cross. Red Cross was doing good things. We were doing good things. Red Cross was taking meals out to people. We were taking meals out to people. You can be a moral good person and, and, and not be a converted person. 
I'm not saying that Red Cross is not, you, if you work with Red Cross, you're not converted. But the point is, you can be a moral person. You can be a good person. You can be a, a kind person. But unless you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not a born-again person. I would much rather do good deeds for people as a born-again person than doing good deeds for people just because I'm a moral person. And that's the hope that we have in Christ. The early church lived this gospel-centered life where they trusted the Lord no matter what was going on around them. And as they were trusting the Lord, they were sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of us need to do some trusting and some sharing if we want to be a church like the Church of Acts. Secondly, we see this little picture of what happens when people trust and people share. Verse number 21 Second big point you could say, the hand of the Lord was with them. Notice in verse 21, and a great who believed turned to the Lord. How, what amazing, what did they do? They gave a car away. Let's have an event. Let's get a big top and clowns and juggle and give out free donuts and give out free things. And we're going to see people turn to the Lord. Let's, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do that. No, let's just preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ beyond the walls of this church and people will turn to the Lord. We don't have to do anything else but believe in the power of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. In the midst, no, don't miss this. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of being scattered, in the midst of trusting the Lord, in the midst of sharing the gospel, in the midst of living in a tough world, they stayed on task. The gospel was the center of the life. So, secondly, then they saw the hand of the Lord was on them. Verse 21. And the hand of the Lord is with them, and a great who believed turned to the Lord. Drop down to 24. In the end of that verse, and a great many people were added to the Lord. In the midst of living for the Lord, we see this parenthesis of God blessing those efforts, and you see the hand of the Lord on the church. I bet they would sit in a prayer meeting. They'd be a, their prayer meetings a little bit different than our prayer meetings. Here's our prayer meetings. Lord! Put your hand upon us to keep persecution away. You know what they prayed? Lord, let persecution rain on us so that people can be saved. A little different. That's why I don't think they're Southern Baptists. The Lord added to them. Added to them added to them and added to them the church has never been individual people doing life the Lord always added to them think about that look at verse 22 third we see they lived this gospel centered life they saw the hand of the Lord was upon them Number three, they were sensitive to the things of the Lord. Now, I want to be careful with this, but they were sensitive to the things of the Lord. And you understand what I'm saying about being careful in just a second. Look at verse 22. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas and Antioch. Barnabas to Antioch. Look at verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. They were sensitive to the things of the Lord. Here's a good example. I've been praying since the storm hit. A couple of us, several of us have been 
uh, certified disaster relief. That's why I keep telling y'all, you got to get certified. Okay, everybody say, Pastor, we need to get certified. One, two, three. Okay, it's not hard. How many years have I been telling y'all that? Okay, then there's in the storm come, guess what I want to do? Pastor, what can we do? Nothing. Pray for me as I go. Well, can we go with you? No, I'm certified. I know I'm certified. No comments, okay? You got to be certified, all right, to do certain things with the disaster relief ministry. Doesn't mean we can't, we're going to all be doing ministry. Don't worry about that. But the storm came. They have a very clear purpose of what they're trying to do there, okay? They, they got to get the infrastructure up. They got to get people fed. They got to get power up. They don't need everybody in the state of Florida bringing a semi-bottled water. That's what we think we need in every disaster I've ever worked. We got 8 million cases of bottled water, and that, we, that doesn't help get electricity on and all that. So they, they're very, they have a very clear purpose of what they're doing. I have been certified, okay? Here's an example. I get an email. I get a phone call. I get an email. I get a phone call. Should I go? I didn't hear an audible voice. Living for the Lord, I've been got a burden for this. I've been certified. Hmm. Should I go help with disaster relief? I think I will. I didn't wake up in the middle of the morning and Sharon going, go. She probably did, but go. I wasn't reading in Leviticus and I put four consonants together in the Hebrew and it said, go to the panhandle. I wasn't riding down the road, go. It's just I'm living a Christian life the best I can. My life, me is being a mess sometimes. I'm doing the best I can. I've been wise with my time. I've been certified. There's a need. I get an email. I get a call. I went to Panama City for four days. That is an example of just knowing you need to do something as the Lord lets you know you need to do this. But here's the early church's difference from where we are. We are so busy. This has nothing to do with disaster relief. It does, but not this. We are so busy living life in those secondary manners. My grandchild, my daughter, my son, all that stuff I mentioned. We're so busy living life focused on that. We never hear God leading us to do kingdom stuff. Some of our life is like a Google calendar, and we look on that, oh, we got a Sunday free. Let's go to church. We got time for Jesus this week. Why don't we go to church? Hey, it's the end of the month. The bills are paid. Why don't we give a little bit to the Lord this week? If I had more time, I would be more willing. Well, see, that's the problem. doesn't mean we're evil people. It doesn't mean we don't love the Lord. We're busy people. And we're so busy, we cannot hear what God is truly leading us to do. The early church was a praying, seeking church. The faintest whisper of the Spirit they picked up on. Church, something's going on in Antioch. Send Barnabas. Barnabas... You can't do this alone. Go get Paul. The only way that we can hear the Lord is we've got to be listening for the Lord. From a practical standpoint, 
If I'm not willing to read the word in a devotional, intimate way, if I'm not willing to pray, if I'm not willing to live out the disciplines of the Lord that are so clearly laid out in Scripture, these are the means the Spirit talks to us. He's not going to speak to us riding down the road. He's not going to send us a letter in the mail. He's not going to do those things. How He speaks to us the clearest is as we love the word and we're on our face in prayer and we know the things that He has given us are true, we're naturally going to do those things. They were listening and seeking the Lord. I came up with the word. I didn't invent the word. I saw the word. They were heeding to the things of God. Take heed. They were paying careful attention. Here's what they were doing. Lord, what do I need to do for your kingdom today? They say the brother, half-brother of Jesus, James, was the leader of the Jerusalem church. They called him Camel Knees because he prayed so much. That's what historians say. I can see James now. Lord, what today, what can we do as the body of Christ here in Jerusalem for your kingdom and your glory? And the Lord impressed on his heart, send Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas coming and seeing the favor of the Lord on the church in Jerusalem, seeking the face of the Lord in, in prayer and, and asking for wisdom and direction. Lord, what can I do? I cannot do it on my own. The Lord said, I've been preparing a man to help you. And his name is Paul. And you need to go get him. Listening and seeking and obeying, I think, all run together as we live an obedient life of just living out the Christian life, we're able to listen and to seek the things of the Lord more clearly. That's biblical wisdom to me. Some people, you know, we just, we know how to respond. We were, we were talking about, uh, I was talking about uh, the embarrassment of, uh, of being around a worker. He was a Christian. I have heard Christians can cuss. But I, I was working around a, a disaster relief person and they slipped up and cussed. You know how embarrassing that was for him? Yeah, how embarrassing it was for me. I tried to act like I didn't hear it because I knew he didn't mean to do it. He just, he's tired. I mean, some of y'all do that, I think. You know, and it's easy to say, well, it doesn't matter whether you're tired or not. What comes in, what's going in is coming out. I've always thought that. Having a time that we just say, Lord, I want to hear from you is, is important, but every day we need to be hearing from the Lord. It should be a natural life of how we live, seeking the face of God. Because what comes out of our life is a manifestation of what is already there. Just listening and seeking. You know the feeling when you're just, you know that everything you do throughout the day is exactly what God wants you to do because you're just seeing God use you everywhere you are. They were sensitive to the things of the Lord. They listened and they obeyed. Sometimes we're asked to do things we don't understand what in the world to do. I'll I tell you a great example. Someone came up to me and said, we need some help. I, I never left the church property but one time. This is the one time I left the church property. My phone app, I'll tell you something. I got a little iPhone. You know the iPhone's got the health app? I walked 12.5 miles three days in a row each day. One day they said, hey, we need somebody to go clean out the showers. I'm like, <laughs> I'm 
the senior pastor at First Baptist Church of Avon Park. I'm certified in emergency response team. We do not do showers. I said, I'll go. Chair, this, I didn't do a good job. <laughs> Cleaning showers, the brush, me and Joel Wright, retired post office guys, the firemen. Cleaning showers, about half a day. That night, a fireman was killed. You hear about it on the news? Fireman was killed. Worked with Joe Wright. He came to me when I was going to bed and he goes, I need you. Will you go to the fire station with me and talk to these brothers? They just lost a brother. If I would not have been cleaning showers that day, I would have not met Joe Wright. Not that someone else couldn't have done that. but I'm glad I was able to do that. You know what I did when I got back? I slept in my truck that night. Thank you. I knew where I was going this morning. Thank you for letting me hear your voice when they said who will go clean the showers so that I could minister to a family that just lost their son in a storm. Does it take a disaster to get us to slow down and hear from the Lord? I guess sometimes. But sometimes asked to do the things you normally wouldn't want to do and obeying is where you really see why God put you there in the first place. Now we segue again. They listened and they obeyed. Look at verse 23. And when they came and saw, so they, they sent Barnabas. Barnabas, I don't know if you want to go or not. He might have told the church in Jerusalem, listen, they're killing folks down in Antioch. But he went and he noticed what happened. And when he came, he saw the grace of God. God's unmerited favor on those people. God saw it. Paul, Barnabas saw it. When we put the gospel first and we live our life in trusting and sharing, we see the hand of the Lord on us. When we live our life and we're sensitive to the things of the Lord, we see the grace of God all around us. And they were willing to do what God had asked them to do beyond their comfort zone, beyond their walls, beyond their city, and they saw the grace of God upon them. God is always working. I, I had to fix some theology on the week. I know that's a shock to some of y'all. We got some faulty thinking out there. Well, the reason this storm happens is the devil's still around. I said, oh no, contrary, my prayer, don't give him any credit for this. This storm happened because God is still on his throne. The devil didn't sneak in Panama City when God was asleep and do that. That's giving the devil too much credit. I don't understand why, but if it was up to me, nothing, we would never have a hurricane. If it was up to me, I'd never have a pain. If it was up to me, after walking 12 point miles a day for three straight days, my knee wouldn't hurt. But it's not up to me. But in the midst of that hurricane, God is still all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, all-wise, and all-loving. The devil didn't cause that storm. 
And then God rallied the troops and pushed the hurricane back. Woo, he almost got through again. I don't double. No. I don't understand why, but it's not up to me to understand why. I just know who. There's death and hunger and storms and natural disasters all over the world. There always has been since Genesis chapter 3. There always will be war and rumors of war, but God is a God with a plan, and that plan is always redemption, His goodness, and the benefit of His people. All things work for the good of those that love the Lord. Don't give the devil any credit for anything. We serve a mighty God, and in the midst of the storm, we serve a mighty God. In the midst of everything, we should experience the grace and the goodness of God. They lived this gospel-centered life. The hand of the Lord was on them. They were sensitive to the things of the Lord. They experienced the grace of God. Verses 23 and 26, we see Barnabas coming. They understood their purpose. Notice what they were doing there. And when he saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord. Verse 26a, and he went and he found him and brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. What was their purpose? Helping people live like Christ. What was their purpose? Helping the church be the church. What was their purpose? One another. Redemption. Salvation, the gospel, salvation is not just getting saved and going to heaven because that would be kind of neat. We'd all just go to heaven the moment we got saved. A few of us have to hang around. I was involved with a ministry that I'm involved with in another state, FCA. Well, I was involved with FCA, and we had a, a big event at a local high school in North Georgia, and the gospel was presented, I don't think very clearly, but it was presented somewhat, and didn't, I w- didn't do it the way I would have probably done it. I think they left some big components out. And then, you know, if you're here today and want to be saved, raise your hand. Like 5,500 people got saved. I'm like, whoa, whoa, back in the bleachers. Oh, you're saved. Oh, and I, I came up to the guy afterwards. Hey, what, what are we doing? How are we helping these people grow in the Lord? And how, what church are they going to be involved in? And, and what next? And we don't have a next. Well, we need to get a next. Because if all of those kids just got born again, revival would break out in northeast Georgia by tomorrow. Guess what didn't happen? True story. The next year, guess what happened? They all got saved again. That's not the gospel. That's not ministry. Gathering people up for an emotional response is not ministry. Gathering people up to share the gospel and then investing your life in them so that they can understand clearly what Christ has done for them and how to live that Christian life out, that's ministry. I'm in the midst of a premarital counseling with Cody and Kaylee, we got to communication. Now, normally I don't tell personal stuff about marriage counseling, but I will this time. (laughs) So we're talking about communication. True story. So last week I said, you know what, we're not even going to cover that now because you don't understand. 
And everything I say about communication before you get married, you're going to go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So we're going to cover communication in marriage six months after you're married. Why? That's when you need it. That's when you realize something's not going on clearly very here. I keep telling my spouse this. I don't think she's listening. That's discipleship. Walking with people in their journey of life. It's not about teaching them all the do's and don'ts and wills and won'ts. It's just, notice what they did for a whole year. I wrote these words down. They are investing. Their purpose is investing. Their purpose is reproducing. Their people is multiplying. That makes me a little nervous because I don't want to multiply me. I want to multiply Jesus' followers. And I'd much rather do multiplication than subtraction. We multiply ourselves. I think about the men that have made an impact in my life, the women that have made an impact in my life. I've even heard some of you talk about Sunday school teachers and RA leaders and mission leaders and people that have made an indifference in your life. That's multiplication. But every one of us need to be investing in one another and reproducing ourselves in one another and multiplying the gospel through our life in one another. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's just not happening. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but there comes a point in time we don't need to hear another sermon. I did not say that. We need to pour our life into one another after we've heard that wonderful sermon. We don't need any, we, we need doctrine, we need truth, we need these things. Those things are important, but it's just knowledge if we're not reproducing it, if we're not pouring it into people. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, one on one and one on some, poured their life into one another. Some of you may say, well, I'm too old. Let me tell you a little, let me tell you, I'm going to tell you some deep theological truth here. As long as you're on this earth, it's for a reason. When you're too old to pour your life into someone else, you're going to not need to because you're going to be with Jesus in heaven. Well, I'm not wired that way. Well, then you must, if you're a Christian, you're wired that way. Well, I don't, I'm going to wish I could take that. I don't know who voted that into the Baptist Constitution somewhere. Well, I don't. Well, you may not, but believers do. Pouring our life into one another. You know what I have picked up on? There are just some people I connect with. There are some people I don't connect with. I connected to a little old, be careful, she may be online in it, she's met me, a little frumpy, plumpy woman. She was probably in her 70s, and she worked in the kitchen, and I was kind of helping in different areas. And, and so I like, I like her. Her and I got a lot in common. Pretty smart, good looking. There was other people in that kitchen I just couldn't connect with. But me and her, we connected. We had a lot of fun. So what do you do? Do you, do you pour your life into people you don't connect with? Or you pour your life? It's just it's that simple. But if you're not even trying, it's never going to happen. Investing in one another. Notice what it said. They were investing in one another to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So with steadfast purpose, they were asking them to remain, or were they remaining the faithful to steadfast purpose? What the goal is to remain faithful to the Lord. 
I think about our, our senior adult congregation. Do you know how much wisdom you have to pour into other people? The Christian life is just not about me. The Christian life is helping others live the Christian life, remain faithful to the Lord, investing and pouring our life into one another for a whole year. Guess what happened? The community was transformed. Now notice, notice what's going on here, though. Let's look at the wording. For a whole year, he exhorted... This word is teaching. We need to be very careful because a lot of people say, well, you know, it's just like I heard a, heard a preacher talking about preachers. I thought it was hilarious. This preacher was talking about other preachers, and he was just saying, you think you're disciple-making, sitting around talking about life, drinking coffee. Listen, you can talk about life all you want. That's not disciple-making. You can do life and sip coffee and engage in, you know, hanging out. That's not disciple-making. Disciple-making is talking and doing life about the things of God. That word, they exhorted him to remain faithful to the Lord. How do we know what the Lord wants us to remain faithful to if we're not teaching? And that word exhort means to teach and admonish. It means to come alongside patiently and to help people. It's not just sitting around talking about life. It's about engaging with people about the things of God. What is God doing in your life? How are you applying the things that we're learning in, our, in your Bible time into your life? What are some areas that I can pray for you over? What is God doing in your life? These types of things, that's disciple making. Just hanging out and doing coffee in the coffee shops in ministry, that's not disciple making. And then we see in verse 26, and they taught a great many people. You know what teaching, you know what that word means? It means this, teaching. They taught they taught, they taught, they taught. Well, there's too much teaching going on. Well, it worked. I'm glad they did. For a whole year, they taught. Helping people. Now, how do you teach? That's a completely different story. We have small groups on Sunday night that we're teaching and facilitating. We have things like this. Well, mainly I do all the talking. There, there are different ways we can teach. There's different methodologies of teaching. But the idea is the core subject is the Word of God. I can tell you right now, there's not a person in this room that I care about how you experience God. Is that clear? I want to know what God said. I mean, Christopher, you're at college. You're, you're smart. You're in college. This is what I think God wants you to do. I don't care what you think God wants you to do. Will you help me see from God's word what God wants us to do? That's what I care about. I don't care what you think. I care what you think about what God has said. That's teaching. It's not just information. It's not just lecturing. It's information based on a relationship. Building relationships to help people faithfully live for the Lord. Last point, we'll close with this. Now the community is transformed. They were called Christians. You know how cool it is. Have you ever been on disaster relief? You ever do stuff like this, like we many of you have? You don't have to just be on disaster relief. Remember the storm that hit here, ma'am, sir, ma'am. I notice you have a tree on your house. Do you mind if I cut that off? How much do you charge? I don't, I don't charge anything. What kind of scam is this, ma'am? It's not a scam. I'm, we have to wear our shirts. We're with Florida Baptist Disaster Relief. 
badge, hat, tag. So what does it cost? Absolutely nothing. So you're doing this for what reason? Jesus Christ. People come by all the time and go, I, I don't know who y'all are, but thank you for who you are. Man, we're Christians. When you live a gospel-centered life and you trust him and you share the gospel, you'll see the hand of the Lord upon your life. When you're sensitive to the will of God and you hear the voice of God and you act upon that obedience, you'll see the grace of God upon your life. When you understand that your purpose is not about you, it's about investing and multiplying and, and pouring your life into others, the community around you will be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's going to do his part. I often said this. He's going to do his part. Remember, he's in the beginning and the end. He's already in the future. But I would sure like to be part of that process. And I'm grateful the early church was that enabled that gospel to just explode from Jerusalem and Antioch to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our word this morning from you. We're grateful that you are all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, all-wise, and all-loving. And that just as real as you were to the church of Acts and Barnabas and Paul and so many that left there, the power of the Holy Spirit, you're just as real today. And so, Lord, as we conclude the time of your word, let us wrestle with the words that we have heard May we respond in faith. Lord, help us to be your people. And if there's anyone here this morning that's never publicly professed their faith in you, I pray, Lord, that they would be willing to share with me that and to follow through with baptism, church membership. But, Lord, I pray for those that are believers here this morning, even as we sing these words about surrender and living. Let us push all the side important things that we love so much to the side and put you at the center of our life. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.